Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. With me, as always, is my co-host Catherine. And I really need her for this one because we are talking about adoptions. This is National Adoption Month that we're in. And Catherine knows a little bit about adoption. Um, she founded a project uh, that she uh, led for many years called Children Need Families. So tell us what Children Need Families or CNF did, why it came about. and Well, um, yeah, it was such an honor to be a part of this work. I had a great team, and it was a project under Operation Underground Railroad. And we weren't going for many years, about five years. And, but in that amount of time, we were able to fund 382 international adoptions. And what was really amazing about that is, is the stories that we were able to learn. And as we worked with families, well, I think we just need to back up. We need to back up and talk about like how this happened. I never, I never thought that I'd be a someone that would want to adopt. It wasn't, we had six kids. I felt fulfilled, you know, six seemed like a good number. And, and I didn't, I, I actually thought I'm not the type of person that could adopt. I didn't think I had that kind of like open, love the world heart, you know, that I felt like you needed. And an experience happened that just was like that. We're going to adopt. Do you want to talk about that part? This is a story of a little boy named Gardy. Um, Gardy was two years old, living in Haiti, U.S. citizen of Haitian descent, and um, he was kidnapped in December of 2009. Kidnapped from the church where his father was an ecclesiastical leader in downtown Port-au-Prince. And um, I didn't learn about the story you know, until a year or two after it had happened, um, it was just devastating. This kid was kidnapped, uh, and then weeks later, the big earthquake hits, which you know is like harvest time for human trafficking, child trafficking. Uh, we know now because we've rescued hundreds of kids in Haiti o- over the years, and um, almost all of them, they're, they're, the the trap that got them into into slavery was fueled by or set by the, the earthquake. Because when you cause that much chaos and craziness, um, it's harvest time for traffickers. They come in, they set up fake orphanages, just put this sign on the wall, and people are like, I mean, there's tens of thousands of, of orphans. Their parents both dead or, you know, just crazy chaos. And so while, while the father is looking, Gesno is looking for his little boy, Gardy, the earthquake strikes, he loses half his family in the earthquake. I mean, can you imagine the deep despair you'd be in at that point? Um, I learned about the case when I was working as an agent with the government, and I was just like, we, this kid was born in Utah. I'm like, we got to make it a U.S. case, and I thought I could make it a U.S. case, and I tried everything. I even spent my own money to send an informant in. Actually, the same guy that is depicted in the film, Sound of Freedom, Vampiro, um, I asked him to leave uh, South America to go follow some leads, I couldn't get the U.S. government to get on board with the case because it was a Haitian crime. Even though it was a U.S. citizen, I thought we could do it, but I was told we couldn't. 
And so the father was pretty much left to his own devices. And so we went, we went down. Um, it was one of the driving f- forces of, of several, but that, that made me want to leave the government. So we didn't have these jurisdictional limit, limitations and we can go look for this little boy. And um, we got all the intel and I'll spare you the details of how we determined that he was brought to what looked like a false orphanage. That's where the kidnappers took him. We, we infiltrated it as if we were traffickers looking for kids. And sure enough, I mean, it was like immediately they, they're, they're telling us that you, you have to, you know, buy these kids. We don't actually do adoptions. What we, is a, we what's sell a false kids. orphanage? Like, what does that it's, mean? it's just, it's a front, right? It's a, it's a, it's a front company. So they have legitimacy, credibility in the eyes of whoever's looking like, Oh, we, of course we have children here. And in a place like Port-au-Prince, like no one's checking up. No one really cares. No one's, it's so busy and messy. And I mean, I well, think there's people care. I've gotten to work with a lot of people. No, no, I'm work. just saying no one, no no one, they don't have the infrastructure to be checking. Yeah. No one's going right. to call and say, is this really an orphanage? No, they're, they're going to just take kids there because the sign says orphanage. Right. right. And so they don't have the resources or infrastructure to be like on top of stuff like that. Um, and so you can just stand one up. And that's what this was. And so we went in undercover um, me and a, and a Haitian speaking, a Creole, Haitian Creole speaking operator, we went in together and um, they started trying to sell us these kits. And the Haitian police said, look, if they're selling kids, look for guardies here. If you can't find them or if they, if they offer kids to, 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 to spy, do it. Because let's see what they're doing. Let them, let them carry out this crime. And they did. They, they, they ended up selling us these two beautiful children uh like one and two years old we're, we're guessing and there's some footage we can we can actually put into the podcast in in the moment that i was looking to pick he picked you he picked me he he turned around and walked up to me and i picked him up and i go oh, i guess it's this kid his name is Cole. i guess this is the kid that i'm gonna buy because he walked up to me and then as i started walking around the place holding him trying to look for guardy this little girl's following me around like and she's like nervous and real, look, looking at it, you know, in, in the moment I realized why, because how many Westerners probably showed up and picked up a kid and that kid disappeared. And so she's following me around and I, uh, I realize why. I put the kid down and say, here, you seem so nervous. And she got, grabs him, you know. Um, I end up giving him some a candy bar and or give her the candy bar and she's just like with eyes on me breaks it in half and gives it to him which is very unusual for a, a two-year-old to get a candy bar and go Ch-! like just you get half of it you get half of everything mm-hmm. and then i realized okay they're brother and sister so then we went to the traffickers and said we want both and i promised them like stay with me i'm here to help you um you'll never be apart again i didn't realize what that promise would actually mean <laughs> but i said you'll never be apart again uh, so we end up taking the kids along with the traffickers to a hotel that's all wired up and cameras. And and uh, if you watch the documentary Operation Two Saint or read my book Slave Stealers, you will get to learn a lot about uh, the details, more details about this case. But um, long story short, we it was a su- successful sting operation. They took the money. We took the kids. They were arrested. The whole place was dismantled. 28 children in total, I believe, uh, were rescued. And 
Um, and I was so overwhelmed. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. Yeah, I remember jump, you, jump in. you, um, you called me after the operation was over and it was successful and it was very successful. It was our first real operation in Haiti. And right. It was like, it was the mm -hmm. first one. It was very successful. These 28 children and the conditions in this, mm. in this fake orphanage, just, just starvation and, and, and physical abuse. That's something I really like to bring out because, um, to protect especially these two children there was no up to this point there was no sexual abuse they were just kind right. of on the it was the first case so of hundreds that i had ever seen maybe even since it was a it was like a preventative strike and the only reason was because we we're looking for guardy usually it takes the abuse to happen in order to put the information on the radar and that's you, you almost always rescue a kid who's already been abused but because we went looking for a little boy, he ends up saving them from ever having to be, get sold. Right. You know, I mean, I don't know how many were sold before that, but but we were able to, at the very least, 28 kids were, are not for sale anymore. Right. And and you had bonded. This this operation took, there were mul multiple trips that you had to go down and and finesse the relationship with the fake orphanage director, right? And. Mm -hmm. And so you had this time that you were spending with these two children. And I remember you told me about when you were driving to the hotel, they got to ride in the car with you. And that was their first time that we know of, of them mm -hmm. being in a vehicle and they're eating suckers and soda and just like, and everything was just so new and so amazing and you really bonded with them and and then after the operation you were so excited to to go in and see them and they had been they'd been taken away the child protective services had come and whisked those two and put them in a safe place because they're they're a key part of the prosecution one part when you were tra when you were traveling the van and there's footage of this as well because Mark Mabry was inside with cam with a camera filming this. Because the traffickers are sitting in the back of the van. I'm sitting in this little jump seat, and the kids are seatbelted in next to me over here, but not super close to me. And Cole undoes his seatbelt and just runs over and jumps in my lap and starts cuddling with me. I'm just like, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be this trafficker, but I like, I'm, I'm tearing up because this kid just cuddling with me and and. uh Anyway, so I start, I do start bonding with them and, and, uh, and then, yeah. So then back to your point, go ahead. So I come, we come back from this thing. Yeah. And there, they'd been at the hotel with you, but in a different room while you were doing the money transaction yeah. and, and then the fake arrest where you get arrested too. And just so that we can try to get more information about where Guardy might be. And when it's all done, the kids are gone. And they yeah. won't tell you where they are. Yeah. And you called me and and you were so sad. You just you were like, I just I didn't get to say goodbye. I didn't get to see him again. And then the way I remember it is I said, You want to adopt him, don't you? And you said, Well, no, no, I don't I don't think so. And then I just said, Let's do it. It just happened like that. Yeah, it was your idea. It was just like that fast, just like you know what? Let's do it. Let's adopt him. 
And and you were like, okay, let's do it. And there's there's so much to this story. There's so many miracles. There's some amazing things that happened. But but in that moment, I went from I never thought I would adopt to let's adopt that quickly. And and um, then it took forever. It took about four and a half years. Hades, uh, Hades is tricky. They're always having so much turmoil. So they were tricky to work with. But but through that process, preparing us, preparing them, getting everything done, we were able to finalize the adoption and bring home these two beautiful children. And in fact, we have a clip of the first time Tim went down a lot because he was working in Haiti a lot and doing the the ongoing search for Gardy and other children that are being victimized there. And so you were able to go that there's a miracle story there. We'll say we'll share that another time. But when you finally found where they were, you were able to go and visit them and bring pictures of the family. Well, why not tell them. that story? Because it's pretty it's it? pretty amazing. Okay. So I couldn't find them because no one it was against the law for a survivor, to, child survivor especially, to be identified where they're at. And I was like telling the police, I'm like, yeah, but I rescued them and I want to adopt them. Like, how do I find them? There's like 30,000 registered orphans in Haiti, you know, and even more unregistered. And it's just like, I said, well, there's one woman in Haiti, only one who has authorized to tell you where they are. She runs it. And, I, and for months, I couldn't get a hold of her. She wouldn't pick up the phone. She wouldn't answer emails, you know which is kind of typical. I'd go in there to the office. Every time I was in Haiti, she wasn't there. And I couldn't find the kids. And I remember one of our kids at one point, at this point, we're already calling them ours, almost like, we're going to find these kids and adopt them. And and uh, one of our kids said, why can't you find them, Dad? Isn't, isn't that what you do for a living? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. But I, I, I hadn't thought to go to heaven. I hadn't thought to go to the Lord about it. And so I, it was eight months later after the rescue, and I told you and the kids, like, be on your knees at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'll be two hours ahead of you in Eastern time in Haiti. I'm going to walk in that gate, or this big, you know, I think it's this big green, like, metal door gate that opens up into the courtyard, and that's the office. And I said, I will be walking in at 8 a.m. knowing you're on your knees. And I got there a little early, and I was with one of the operators, and he's like, let's go. I'm like, no, we're not going in until this minute, till this, the, right at 8 a.m. or 10 a.m. our time. And right as 10, when 10 a.m. hit the watch, I pushed the gate, and as I pushed the gate, someone pulled the gate. And this, this elderly woman, Haitian woman, comes walking out. I've never seen her before. She's not the one I'm looking for. And I'm just like so amped up that I'm not going to miss the miracle. So I grab her, and I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and she's, she's, She's like taken aback, of course, as she should be. And she's like, well, the better question here is who are you? And I said, yeah, fair. Uh, and I said, Because she spoke English. She speaks English, which is very unusual, very good English. And I said, look, I'm, I'm looking for these two kids. My wife and I want to adopt them, but I can't get a hold of anyone. And she's like, well, what are the kids' names? And I was like, how are you going to possibly know who their names? But I'm like, all right, miracle. Uh, Cole and Colleen. That's all I know. That's I don't even know if that's the real name. That's what they told me their name was. And she just goes crazy. She starts crying. She starts dancing. She's like, you're the one who rescued them. I'm like, what? I thought no one was supposed to know about this. No one but one woman. How do you know? She's like, 
Oh, I know exactly where they are, and you won't believe this. She said, I don't even work here. It's like, I'm just visiting. I'm like, what? Like, explain this. So she explained that when the 28 kids were rescued and brought to that office, the, 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 the principals of the, you know, the child protection called three different orphanages and said, you all need to come. We're going to split these kids up. You're each going to take a third. She's like, I just happened to be there. I was one of the, I don't know, thousands of orphanages that they called. I happened to be called to pick and take a third of them. And I remember that this was a result of a rescue. I remember those two kids were like part of the sting operation. And I just remember their names. And then I look at you and I'm like, you must be the guy that rescued them. I said, yep. And she said, I will have them here tomorrow. They weren't at her orphanage. No, they weren't at hers, but she knew Sonia, whose orphanage they were at. And um, and then she, it, it got very emotional because she said, do you realize that if you had come in this gate even three to five seconds before or after you did, or if I had left just a few seconds before or after I did, we would have missed each other completely. And I thought back to that timing and I said, well, do you realize that my wife and my six children were on their knees in prayer as I opened that gate to find these kids? This is a miracle. And so uh, she brought the kids. We found out obviously who they were and uh, we were then able to initiate the what was the that like process. when that first time, so after eight months about where you've done the sting operation, then you haven't seen him and you've been looking for him. What was that like when you, when she brought him? Oh, it was, it was, um, it was amazing. It was beautiful. Um, Colleen recognized me because she ran to me and she, and she called me Papa Blanc, <laughs> which is white daddy. She's like, Papa Blanc. And she runs to me, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then Cole acted more like, I'm too cool, whatever. I'm just going to kind of hang back. Um, and he didn't make it known if he recognized me or not, but she definitely did. And I gave her a Christmas card and she like just was stuck on it and started calling you Mama Blanc. And like, she wanted all the names and what. They, had, they don't call us that anymore, by the way. No, we, I, we, 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 we. Yeah, I told them, I said, this might work in Haiti, but it's not going to work <laughs> in the United States. So that's. <laughs> It's just mom and dad. <laughs> um, but um, it was beautiful. And we, and we didn't even tell them. They, they had no idea we were going to adopt them. But here she is calling us mommy and daddy, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, then, and then the unfortunate process of three to four, four almost four years, it took us. Um, and that's what opened our eyes to adoption. It's like, how can there be 30,000, just in Haiti, 30,000 uh, kids who need a home, and then how many millions of families right. who have enough yeah. to take care of them? And it's just like this economy that's so ridiculous. Like if they just knew, if families just knew there was these children, they would bring one in. If yeah. they if they got to have the experience, that we, we wouldn't have done it except almost we were forced into seeing these are real children. And they're going to be raised in an orphanage and then booted out eventually and what's life going to be like and i've i look at colleen colleen today who've been with us now for five years for five years and i sometimes weep over in gratitude but also sadness like i look at colleen i'm like oh my gosh she's yeah. turning into a woman you know young woman and I'm like 
you'd be gone. Yeah. You'd be dead or being trafficked right now. Yeah. And Kole would be some, who, who knows? Like, and instead they're like living this life with a loving family and, and, you know, happy. Yeah. And that's, that's where you got the conversion. Like people need to see this and, f and you know, I, I know yeah. adoption's not for everybody, but we didn't think it was, we, we thought, didn't think it was for us. And it really opened our eyes to what, we are personally capable of. And I did not think I was the type of person that was capable of adoption and and bringing children into our home and loving them unconditionally. And, and I have learned so much about the love of God, really, that it's His love that He gives to us and, and allows us to just love all of His children. And, and it opened our eyes to like, well, we were blessed. It it costs about $30,000 to adopt these two from Haiti. And Haiti's not even one of the more expensive countries. But that's about average, I guess. And um, we had family and friends that were so generous to help us because we didn't have $30,000 just sitting around waiting, like, what if we adopt someday? And that kind of, the whole process of realizing Wow, we are through through the grace of Christ. We are a lot more capable of helping people than we realize. And what do other people do that don't have money? How do they adopt? That's was the genesis for children need families. That well, we could fix some of these problems. We could raise a, awareness, like by telling our story, by by tapping into other people that have adopted. We could we could find, um, we could bring this awareness to people to be like, hey, this is something that you should consider. And and then also we could help with the funding, which was pretty much the biggest thing that Children Need Families did, that we helped to fund 382 adoptions um, under OUR. And that that's 382 children out of an orphanage and the thing that is stunning is it doesn't it like there's a lot of different reasons why a child is in an orphanage you there's there's all different i mean the stories oh sometimes a lot of times it's simply because they're Down syndrome. And just in certain countries, you're just immediately, oh, your baby is Down syndrome and you didn't abort it. Well, now uh, you immediately put it up for adoption. And that just, that's heartbreaking. And then you have countries like Haiti where they're actually it's a community. It's kind of a thing that we were working on to, to help fix. The families are encouraged that the best place for your child is in an orphanage. And you're being a good parent if you put them in an orphanage. And I was actually in the middle of working on, on a project with an organization that's working in there that's, that's trying to reverse that. And any children that are in orphanages that have families, we were working on re- um, reuniting them and helping the families kind of just a little bit of a re-education, like the best place for your children 
is in your home. And, and that's something I'm really excited to get working on again. And sometimes it's just getting them out of orphanages and into foster systems within those countries. But anytime a child is in an orphanage, you're dealing with the tragedy. You're dealing with some sort of trauma and it manifests itself in different ways. And, and worrying about like what that trauma might be, that's not important. The important thing is getting them into loving families. And, and that's like, we could just speak to that. Like the, the blessing of having these two amazing children in our family, yeah. Colleen and Colet, they're going to, they're probably going to be, they they won't watch this until they're older and then they'll, then they'll appreciate it. <laughs> but they're, they're so, they're such a blessing to us. Yeah. And we never would have, we never would have had that experience, this the the love in our home that has increased because because we asked because we opened ourselves up to what what could we do with God's love, not Catherine, what are you capable of, and Tim, what are you capable of, but what is God capable of, and and so I just want to encourage all of you to open up your mind to what are you capable of through God, through the grace of Christ, what are you capable of? And and uh, there's a lot of children that need your help. Colleen would have aged out if she hadn't been in the process of adoption and she was just barely eight years old when we finally brought her home. And explain what age out means. Well, there, there's there comes a, a every country has like a limit right where it's like well we don't have an orphanage that is it 16 sometimes 15 it really depends on the country and they literally just say bye-bye good luck and that's where they're stuck what what option do you have they go into like group homes that have a lot less and group homes are exactly yeah. where traffickers go to get their victims yeah because there's no one really watching and so to think that that's where Colleen would probably be. Yeah. It's, I, I do, I, I sometimes look at her and just get emotional. Just like, oh my gosh, where would you be? Instead, you're worrying about the right thing, not if you're going to get assaulted or raped or something. You're you're just worried about like, is your clothes, are your clothes matching, right? And stressing <laughs> out about that. Yeah. Like, good. Do you have Stress friends at school? And just the normal problems that, that a middle school girl goes through just those normal things that that are i'm not minimizing that that's real to them and it's these are real struggles that all my kids have gone through at middle school but but what a what a blessing to just deal with middle school problems and not not the horrors of of you know orphanage and group home and the streets what a blessing I was just, I recently met with a family that had adopted, that we were able to, through Children Need Families, we were able to grant their adoption, uh, a significant portion of their adoption. And uh, they adopted this sweet, sweet little Down syndrome boy. And, and he's just, I got to, he came over to the house and he's just so happy and so sweet. And their adoption should have gone a lot quicker than it did. One of the things about Down syndrome adoptions is 
the um, the orphanages try to get rid of them a little quicker because they're they're difficult to take care of, which that's a whole nother problem. Like if you can do any adoption fast, then let's do every adoption fast. Like why can some be faster? But anyway, um, and I don't think you know this, but they, they were just finishing up. They had everything finished. They were traveling. They were going, everything was going to be done. And this man in, in the country that they adopted from, he got involved with the courts and tried to put a stop to the adoption because he felt that all Down syndrome children should be like euthanized. He didn't want to allow for the adoption of a Down syndrome child and he tried to put a stop to it. So it, it dragged on longer wow. than it should have. Can, can you, I just can't even process that, but we were able to get them give them the funds that they needed to be able to fight that and, and bring that sweet boy home to their family. And you can just see the happiness that that's in his eyes and in the eyes of his family. So we're just, we are now huge proponents of adoption. And in this national adoption month, we just want to encourage everyone to Look, look at what's around you. Look at, look at the blessings that you have and, and ask yourself, what more does God want me to do? And we're not saying that at all. Like, like, Oh, follow us. Cause we did it. No, it's a daily, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily thing. Orphan orphanages are full of problems and, and children, um, they, they, you know, they have needs. They have some big needs. When you adopt it, it brings some serious needs into these children's lives and that you need to help them with. And, and I guess I'm just saying, I'm reminding myself and reminding all of us to, to see if there's more that you could do to help these children around the world. And maybe it's in your own neighborhood and maybe it's, through the foster program, which I also think is really amazing. There's some problems there, but, but we could sit and, and argue forever about the problems with adoption, the problems with orphanages, the problems with the foster system. We could just sit here and argue or we could act. And I would just encourage everybody, let's act. See what you can do. See what you can do. Maybe it's reaching out to a family that you know that has adopted and seen what you can do to help them and assist them. And hopefully soon I will have my project back up and running. And, um, yeah, stay tuned. It will be, we're working on it. And, and then that another thing you can do is donate to help with these, all the donations go to adoption. So we're excited about that. But anyway, so grateful, so grateful to have been blessed with the opportunity to adopt and, and have that, that incredible love of God in our family. So we're going to close out this episode with a very special video that you can watch. This is, I got to go back to Haiti over those four years, like Catherine said, and I saw them all the time. Well, I didn't want to go back. Catherine couldn't go back. <laughs> she knows that she, if, she's, if she saw them, she wouldn't be able to leave them. And then she'd be stuck in Haiti too. <laughs> so I had to be the one to go see them. And I didn't want to go until it was time to adopt.
because it just how, yeah, how can you, how can you see him there and then go back and take care of the six kids and well, seven, then, then it became seven. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So then you, you went back a lot. I went back a lot, but finally the day came when we got to go pick him up and finally I got, I got to bring Catherine to introduce her to these two beautiful children that were hers. And we brought two of our our kids, two of our, our oldest two sons. And um, there's a video we're going to show you of Catherine meeting her babies for the very first time. So we will end this episode with you watching this very special video of our kids coming home. Thanks for watching this episode and listening. And we will see you next time. Our last conversation was like, next time you see... Your dad, what's going to happen? She went like this. <laughs> this is already, they are ready to go. The pack's already yeah, the pack's ready to go. I guarantee you they're getting the door. Because exactly. I sit there and like, I'll be two hours late and they'll wait in the door for two hours. That's the only thing, whatever they... But they know this, they, this, they know this is the time, right? Oh, I told, uh, well... We promised them, we promised them, yeah. the next time, to the next time.
Let's go. Hi guys. Did you hear that? You made it. You made it. You made it. Okay, <coughs> 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 Oh, uh, that was, that was there. It's not